Hello, everyone, and welcome to another interlude of the TF Tuesday podcast. My name is Syl, and I hope you all have been having a great week. Uh, This week has been an interesting one for me. I will confess it has been very snowy here, and it has been giving me some thoughts about winter TFs, so that's been good. Uh, Today, I have a guest with me here today to talk all about the wonderful world of inanimate TF, and I'm I'm really excited to be getting into this because as uh, the self-designated pool toy Jesus, it very much aligns with my interests. So, Medkit, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Medkit. Uh, I have been writing uh, adult short stories and uh, novelettes off and on for the past 10 years or so. Uh, normally, I write about uh, inanimate transformation, and though I've also written uh, inflation, vor, and hypnosis stories before. Uh, currently, I'm writing by commission. Nice. It's been really interesting to kind of see you make the transition into like doing it almost on a full-time basis, I think, right? Yes, I am currently doing it full-time. It's actually been very affirming. Oh, that's fantastic. Honestly, it's always really good when you uh, can make something that is your interest into something that can also support you. So that's really awesome to hear. Absolutely. It's been like incredibly rejuvenating to just know that I could lean into something I've been wanting to do for years and to be able to support myself doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, what first drew you to Inanimate TF? Like, were there any artists or other writers in the community that kind of inspired you to kind of start getting into inanimate tf yeah actually um i started on deviant art writing inflation stories uh which was mm-hmm. kind of like a weird quirky beginning but i quickly realized that i was actually into transformation just adjacently i got exposed to a lot of artwork that was on DeviantArt by uh, artists like red flare and Grandstorm and a few others um mm-hmm. as well as a dozen or so different writers that all wrote some variation of inflation and like balloon transformation kind of stuff uh, so that was kind of where I got my start there. And then uh, I found Canada on Furfinity. Oh, yes. And uh, very quickly spiraled into like more adult style, adult, like inanimate transformations. Uh, mm-hmm. And that really became like the belly of my, my work after that point. No, that's awesome. Um, I am a big fan of Canada's stuff. I think we were both on a Patreon at one point, weren't we? Uh, yes, definitely. The only reason I stopped was because I, I couldn't afford it after a while. <laughs> I, I kept getting monthly art, and I honestly felt bad making Canada just make whatever came to my mind. I was like, I want you to just make your own thing, please. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And then Canada switched to like commission a commission model anyway, so uh, yeah. I think that I was there until the bitter end, uh, at least on the monthly front, but uh, yeah, no... I, some great stuff that has come out of there. <laughs> Absolutely. I love their stuff. It's great. Yeah. So I'm curious to know in particular, like, what in particular you find compelling about inanimate TF, because I feel like it can be really different for different people. And sometimes that can be because of the allure of specific things like different objects or other what have yous. Is there anything in particular that really gets you going, I guess, for lack of a better term, when it comes to an animate TF? Yeah, I would say it's like the the vulnerability of it. There is this, like, with, with inanimate transformation, it's almost like a sense of helplessness. Mm-hmm. On top of, like, there is this idea of being, like, forgotten or mundanely treated. Uh, it's almost like just mm-hmm. objectification as a, as a fetish in general. Like, it's really just sort of like a more literal version of that. Uh, and in the same way, like, degradation and humiliation play a major role. 
like when I look for things I want to be turned into in, in fantasy, I want things to be extremely like degrading or humiliating things like cheap objects or things that get worn out fairly easily. Uh, I don't know really why that is. I think it's probably rooted to sort of wider themes that I've always been interested in as a person. Uh, and I found over the years, like there are different uh, objects and uh, like even uh, body parts, I would say that are really compelling and interesting to explore uh, from the angle of writing uh, in the context of inanimate transformation. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, if you are somebody that's really into, I don't know, butts, you might find underwear really compelling. If you're somebody that yeah. likes feet, you might like socks a lot. You know, there's a lot of little ways that you can spice up transformation and uh, all of those things that correlate to something that you enjoy kind of make it something more unique and something special in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned the kind of humiliation and degradation angles, because it is something that I think comes up a lot when we talk about inanimate TFs, both as they're presented and like kind of the draw behind them. I can get into that as well. That's not always my initial angle. So I'm always curious to hear more when people bring that up, because you're right, there is definitely a draw towards things that you know, are just treated kind of carelessly, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. when we think about inanimate TF, like, especially in a lot of written stuff. I have seen a lot of art, and I have actually written some stories where it's very much the opposite, where, like, even if you Mm -hmm. are, like, a cheaper object, somebody treats you with a lot of care and attention to make sure that you are retained in a certain level of quality. Mm -hmm. I I think it's really interesting that there is such, like, a diversity of opinion on inanimate transformation, because some people only want to do it temporarily, some people want to, like, retain sentience or something. But I've explored a lot of those things as a writer, and it's very interesting, but I I definitely think both themes have their own darkness to them. It's interesting you mentioned the darkness, because I think, you know, obviously I've read quite a few of your stories, and they're very good. And uh, one thing I've always noticed is there is that interplay between you know, the line between, oh, is this going to go down like kind of a dark hole? Or is this going to, you know, be a temporary thing that changes the character's perspective or what have you? Is there something in particular you think that draws you towards that darkness? Or is that sometimes more dictated by who the people are that are commissioning you? It's, uh, it's, it's very much a combination of the two, to be honest with you. Um, when I write, generally, I prefer darker themes, but I honestly... Mm-hmm. I, I have days where I like wholesome stories as well, and I want something just kind of light and fluffy and affirming. Uh, but for some reason, uh, darker themes have always compelled me. I think it's because uh, even before I ever got into the kink stuff in general, I was a big fan of horror. And uh, mm. the idea of being put into a situation that's very like uh, evocative and very thrilling is kind of interesting to me. And I think... Again, like relating to those themes of like humiliation, degradation, uh, those aren't ever present in everything, but there's certainly uh, like undertones of it, especially in the darker material, uh, which I think is probably why I gravitate toward, towards it a lot. And I think uh, as a result of either just there being a lot of art in general that's kind of like that, or there being just a lot of people uh, seeking out that kind of fantasy. You know, uh, I do get commissioned a lot for stuff that's about that kind of theme. Yeah. And and generally, actually, um, when I write my original stuff from when I wrote it before, I I actually aimed to have some kind of um, neutrality where you could kind of mm. imply however you wanted to imagine the story ending um, could end that way. Just because I, I thought it was very rude or very, like, I, I wouldn't say rude, it just felt like it was unnecessary 
to kind of write something into a corner like that. But I found that like over time, like sometimes you do want that finality in the writing. It's interesting you bring that up as well, because I definitely think that, you know, again, maybe this is partially because of commission interests, but Mm -hmm. like I've noticed there has been that trend towards being more definitive in some of your stories in terms of the ending. Um, And I was curious as to maybe what drove that, because, you know, there is obviously a benefit in terms of leaving things up to audience interpretation. Mm -hmm. You know, they can kind of infer what happens and maybe make that ending whatever it is what they want but there has been i think more of a definitive tone towards some of the endings um in some of your more recent pieces yeah i i would say that's largely because of the the commissioned aspect um a lot of the times uh it's because you know the the person that's commissioning me doesn't maybe have a full idea of how they'd like the story to end or maybe they do um and they just kind of imagine this story as sort of like uh, a dream or like maybe a nightmare mm-hmm. something like that where uh the canonicity of it is completely in question just because of the nature of the work so i think it, it definitely varies i think there's like the the reader's perspective that can really shape whether or not something is uh, scary or not and a lot of these stories that are written by commission are written for people who find that like find those specific scenarios uh, especially compelling and uh, emotionally, like romantically interesting. They find them hot, mm-hmm. for lack yeah. of better terms. And so uh, a lot of these scenarios are uh, not really necessarily nightmares, but just really deep fantasies. And I think that's the most compelling yeah. part about it, is that working with these kind of darker themes, a lot of times you recognize different attributes of it, where it's like, it's a dark theme, but there's something affirming about uh, the fantasy being okay in the context of the story a lot of a lot of uh what i've written has been uh sort of like normalizing it in the sort of setting uh i know with a lot of stories i've written for uh, uh misha uh or misha i'm not sure if i'm mispronouncing their name mm-hmm. um they they tend to have a lot of that sort of theme where maybe a character is yeah. there is a finality to it but the character is sort of consenting or comfortable with their their life after transformation at the same time, I've had a lot of people like uh, Kalik who will commission a lot of uh, content that is a lot more definitive in the endings for the characters. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's always interesting when we talk about kind of like that darkness and when, you know, these changes are, are more final. I always find that people, when they're trying to explain what the draw is to some degree, they, they go back to the, the humiliation, of course, but also they go back to like putting it almost in like BDSM terms, like I've heard that come up as a potential kind of explanation for the draw a number of times. And I don't always know how I feel about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely see a connection, but I'm curious to know how you feel about that comparison. And if you think that it's fair to kind of group the like core draw of some of these inanimate TF changes to that kind of a concept. I think it happens a lot because there is a lot of, um, uh, like I would say, like overflow between different kinds of kinks in the in the community in general. Um, right. Like I look at Sebastian Rubbermage's artwork, and they inspired a lot of Red Flare's artwork, and Canada's artwork is inspired by a lot of both of their artwork and other artists. And uh, mm-hmm. like I definitely noticed that there is a sub theme. Uh, even uh, Jason Tamia uh, and a few dozen other artists that are sadly not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they they focused around these concepts as. Uh, like inanimate transformation as literal bondage where you, you you have your arms maybe like your hands are melded into your shoulders but they're still kind of poking out like uh like little stubby right. arms 
uh, or something like that. Or, you know, you have some other form of bondage where like your arms are just simply removed and you're kind of like bound and gagged, but it's not uh, like a rubber object attached to you. It's literally your body that's been molded. Right. I, I think that is because uh, to some level, jumping off that humiliation degradation thing, I think especially with certain types of inan- inanimate transformation, there is that angle a lot. Mm-hmm. But like with regular transformation, there's a huge variety of interest in inanimate, in inanimate transformation. There are uh, lots of people who like the idea of being sentient uh, inanimate objects, like sentient uh, balloons or pool toys, uh, or yes. even plushies I've noticed a lot recently. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's all great and that's all cool. It's all self-expression. But uh, for me personally, I, I definitely think that the bondage element I enjoy a lot more uh, non-literally. Uh, I tend to prefer a lot more like mundane object transformations personally. Right. With like very little like identify like identifiers or any kind of way to like really tell what the person was. I do although I do like si- like a simplification of uh, like patterns and and identifiers that kind of makes it a little bit more personal. But uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I mean I like all of those things, and you know it's it's always interesting to me when BDSM gets brought up because I I mean I I agree with you. Like I think there's definitely. A, an identifiable pull in terms of like you have these restraints or you have like the degradation and it's really just kind of elevating it by saying like instead of there's something being there restraining you you are like turning into the restraint to some some degree yeah yeah you're being restrained by yourself in a sense yeah yeah and and like that's a really interesting concept to me i just i think what struck me as strange when i first had that kind of told to me is that and maybe this was just my interpretation of an animate TF, but I didn't think about it through that lens, at least yeah. so literally when I was first coming into it. And then when the term was kind of, when the connection was made for me, then a light bulb kind of went off and I was like, oh, okay, I actually see the concept. And I just wonder if people like when they're first getting into it, make that connection right away, or if that's something that gets illuminated. I, I don't think it is something that's revealed right away because uh, I've told you before, um, inflation was kind of the first fetish I really fixated on. Yeah, and uh, I didn't realize it, but for the first three or four years that I was I was writing material uh, around inflation, I was writing inanimate transformation the whole time. I never wrote inflation yeah. where there was like literal body fleshy stuff happening, and like that grossed me out. Uh, I was always asexual, <laughs> so for me, like I was always imagining that when you became inflated, you were just transforming into a balloon in some way. Mm-hmm. So. I always made that leap of, of logic before even being introduced to that concept. And and before I, I, I even understood what like bondage restraints were, I understood that I liked the idea that like you can't move around or interact with things because of how overinflated your body is. That's another form of bodily transformation, if you will. And and so there's a lot of ways where like even if you were just turned into like a small keychain plushie or something like that, there's an immense amount of restraint. Uh you're you're being made helpless. And in a sense, yeah. too, from a relationship perspective, I am your owner, you are an object. There is, like, a distinct disparity between that. And I think it's uh, an extreme, uh, like, uh, masochism that drives that. And I don't think that's something that everyone is uh, aware of. I don't think that most people think mm-hmm. about these things that deeply at all. I was just obsessed with it uh, when I got into writing. Um, because I wanted to explore these concepts in my writing, in some degree, uh, some degree yeah. I should say. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you bring up the the owner concept because, you know, I think that is always an implied part of inanimate TF, unless, of course, like 
somehow the inanimate object can move. And like, I think that's a separate discussion. But generally speaking, like when you turned into an object, an object is going to eventually belong to someone, right? And I think that there is that kind of underlying tension there to some degree, because it's that idea of being turned into property, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I think a lot of times, one of the interesting things about these stories is that, you know, if you have someone like, uh, applying the change to you, that connection is completely evident. Like it's it's mm-hmm. there from the get go. You know, someone is causing your changes. That must be the person who's going to end up owning you to some degree or discarding you. But like when it's a uh, more esoteric or like um, out of the blue change, where like you are just turned into an object f- because of an external force. That idea of being owned, I don't think, comes out immediately, but obviously down the road. I would say it it has kind of like this really interesting opposite effect where in that situation, it's almost like an abandonment. You've Mm. been left alone. You're no longer anybody's. You're just a thing. Uh, So I think in another way, it is, again, like this sort of degradation of personhood. It's It's that loss of autonomy. And it's that mm. reduction of, uh, of I would say, respect and expectation because people don't expect a, a plush toy to get up and start walking around typically unless you're in like a <laughs> fantasy setting where that typically happens. Uh, although yeah. I've read uh, a few stories where that is casually a thing that can happen, which is still very compelling, very interesting written in that setting. But yeah, oh, yeah. there's a lot of creativity I- in it that, that makes it like very interesting to explore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the ones that and you know, I'm coming back to this because it's one of my loves. But, you know, obviously, with pool toy transformation, I have seen ones where like, you know, someone gets turned into a pool toy, and then they are able to still like, walk around and maybe not speak, maybe make sounds or something. But like, there's still still an animate object. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really fun. I think it's really cool. I, I love stuff like that. I personally just, for me, the immobility is such an important thing that I'm like, mm. I would rather be like on that same level of like consciousness and awareness, but still be in a form that requires someone else to care for me. Because to me, mm-hmm. that's like, that's a bit of the core of an animate transformation is the idea of like, being an object has certain things that like really restrict you. Um, and oh, I've yeah. been holding off writing like this really incredible, like fake biology uh, not not biology, biography, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, around uh, my own Sona for some time because I just really want to express that, that idea of like a relationship between like an inanimate, inanimate transformation uh, fetishist who's actually gone the whole way and their, yeah. their partner who like deeply cares for them and like still treats them like a person even though they are literally just a pool toy. Like yeah. that idea is just so fun to me and uh, I really want to explore it more. I love that. Honestly, I I really love that. And I hope you do get to kind of elaborate and write that down. Because I mean, as as a pool toy enthusiast, I very much support the lore behind inanimate TF and all of those good things. That's so good. <laughs> so fun. I like to I like to often go to like really uh, far off fantasy places like I like distant futures where the technology is oh, yeah. like basically just like systematic magic. Mm. And uh, I also like the uh, kind of like the retro aesthetics of like big clunky machines and stuff like that, that like oh, big yeah. buttons and like 90s style aesthetic clinics and stuff like that. I don't know. It's oh, just yeah. very fun to imagine. Yeah. There's so many different interesting scenarios you can explore, be it, you know, the near future, the far future, the near past, or even, you know. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I've written a couple of stories in like a, a D&D style, like historical past 
that's been a lot of fun oh my gosh so <laughs> it happens like people people like there's I, I think the weird thing for me is like when people want to do like a modern style transformation in in like a and d style setting because like unless yeah. you have the meta that it is literally happening in it like it's happening in a D game that's happening like concurrently with the plot of the character turning into something it's like mm-hmm. how do you explain mm-hmm. someone in medieval fantasy knowing what a pool toy is yeah <laughs> like they got factories that like pump them out there somewhere you got to come up with whole lore to come up with that stuff and then it's like oh literally a factory was just teleported there somehow um the the idea of vinyl being produced in the medieval ages is wild to me and i love it is it, <laughs> it is oh my gosh so you know obviously one of the primary ways that you have explored in animate tf has been through writing because you're a writer and so i was curious to know a little bit more about what you enjoy most about writing in animate tf is there anything in particular that um really feels like a draw towards you in terms of when you're writing in animate tf uh yeah uh i generally i i find it a lot of fun to write the longer stories uh because Mm -hmm. Something I really enjoy about transformation is thinking about the context of transformation because, yes, you have the person being transformed, you have that pinnacle moment where, you know, they go from person to thing, Um, but I really like to know, like, the relationships between the characters going on in that dynamic and, like, what's going on with people that care about them. Are they looking into where they went? Do they know that they have this fetish? You know, like, little, Mm -hmm. little things that are going on in the background that kind of add to the context and kind of like turn something that feels very like a uh, flash in the pan. Oh, you're a thing now to like, Oh, like now this is a wider story. Now there's, now there's a bit of a mystery to this, you know? And there's also just so many like genres and, and such a variety of topics to explore within inanimate transformation. Like you right. can very easily write like a romantic inanimate transformation story where you know, maybe two lovers get turned into, I don't know, display plush toys for a weekend uh, to enjoy their anniversary or something. Or you could have something that's a little bit more dramatic and uh, maybe uh, two, two stuck-up billionaires are being uh, turned into objects for the, the bank robbers to steal all their money or something. You know, you can, you can go in so many different directions. and uh, it, it makes it so easy to write like interesting and compelling plot lines along with Mm -hmm. like people's interests. Uh, I've been really enjoying doing commissions lately because sometimes it is difficult to come up with something that you like when you like such a huge breadth of things. And uh, like, there's so many things that people are really like deeply interested in almost um, uh, I would say laser focused interested in um, that uh, I, I maybe consider once in a while, but never really get the opportunity to, to give the attention I think it deserves. And so mm-hmm. it's really awesome to be able to do that for so many people is to kind of like pick up some of these ideas that they have and elevate them in my own way and kind of add my own words and voice to it. Uh, it's really uh, exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say we could use a few billionaire TFs into objects right about now. Yeah, so right. Very, very we should we should turn Elon into a blue check mark. That'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Pay eight dollars right, ninety nine cents a month to turn Elon back into a person. <laughs> oh my gosh! I I I I pray for someone to make that art someday. Oh, uh, I I can actually already imagine it. Like the the blue <laughs> like face on the bird body. No, I don't want to oh, think yeah. about it anymore. <laughs> All right, moving on. 
<laughs> Moving on. Um, yeah, no, I think there's so many interesting angles that you can explore when you're writing an animate TF. And uh, to be honest, personally, almost all of the stories that I wrote back in the day that are now uh, not shared uh, were inanimate TF. So I definitely see the yeah. draw there. I was curious to know, is there anything that you find especially difficult to write when it comes to an animate TF? Yeah, actually, uh, I would say sometimes it's the transformation scenes themselves. Because uh, they are, to me, they're the most important quality of a transformation story. It's like going to see a slasher flick and then having all the, the actual kills be like off screen. If, if that happened... Mm -hmm. What? Why? If you're a, a, slash, a slasher horror fan, like, why would you? Would Would there be anything compelling to enjoy if there was no like exciting kills? So, mm -hmm. in, in the weird way, that is, I feel like what transformations have fixated on. It's It's like if you wrote a porn without a porn scene, uh, like a sex scene, it would be just the just the like just the prologue. Essentially, it wouldn't have any meat mm -hmm. to it. Um, or the epilogue. Yeah, and well, yeah, and uh, it's. It's really the thing that has the most weight. I think it's like you really have to make sure that the transformation scene like feels uh, very unique. It should like very easily uh, evoke a certain kind of like mental image. I feel like mm -hmm. uh, if it's if it's very confusing, it's very hard to follow. So you want to make sure that it's straightforward. You want it to like read and pace a certain way if, if it's supposed to be a bit of a longer transformation scene. I know a lot of right, people really of like really long drawn out transformations. So. There might be like a segue of a couple of weeks where, you know, maybe a minor transformation is causing a person a nuisance for a while, but gradually becomes mm -hmm. uh, a bigger issue. And and in that case, that requires a lot of uh, thinking and a lot of nuances and a lot of like imagining and, and, and brainstorming, like how would that impact a person's life or how this impacts the next couple of minutes? Because even thinking about like something simple like a, like a pool, pool toy transformation um let's say that only takes uh i don't know a minute in in that 30 mm -hmm. seconds uh, in that 60 seconds what is transforming in what like pace or is it is it your arms transforming first is it your your legs transforming first does it start from one spot and then crawl across your body is it like mm -hmm. uh is it like a rash or does it come over you like a goo is it a slime you know it's it's a very common thing i've seen uh, or is there oh, yeah. is there some kind of like body horror element you know um, there's lots of very interesting ways to go about uh, describing transformation. I think it's very important to get it right. Because uh, if you don't, mm -hmm. it's going to be very underwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the struggles that I've always seen in, in stories in particular, like it can be a really hard balance to strike, is how much of the story goes towards like the setup and how much of the story goes towards the actual TF, particularly when, you know, like you said, the TF might only last like, a minute, a minute and a half canonically in the story. But yeah. If it's only like a short, short part of the story, then someone might come away going like, well, you know, there's all this buildup and then it was, you know, so yeah, it, it exactly. can be really difficult to kind of balance that between, um, you know, building up the scenario and then obviously exploring the aftermath versus, you know, the, the meat of the story for many people, which is that change. Mm -hmm. You know, I, one of the things I was also curious to, to know about when it comes to the writing is how you kind of explore the fetishism that's inherent to writing that kind of TF. Like there's often a very specific angle, I think, mm -hmm. that people look for or write from when it comes to inanimate TF. And there's like focuses on different things that they know the audience wants or you know that you want to explore and those kinds of things. How do you generally tackle that kind of a focus? Yeah, so 
uh, I've actually done quite a lot of work trying to understand uh, like what makes like erotica work um, and, and mm-hmm. how to make it punctual and how to make it impact. Uh, a lot of my work, especially with commissions, uh, is very personal. I, I oftentimes will talk with the client for a while and try to get an idea of what their interests are. I'll go through mm-hmm. their gallery and try to figure out what their favorite things are, what they look for in writing. Um, and once I've kind of built up that mental portfolio of what they like, I try to include as much of that stuff in the uh, breadth of the story as much as possible. Uh, and the way I do that is I try to like, I try to be a little bit more subtle with it. I try to incorporate it uh, into um, various sections of the story so that uh, there's never a point where you feel uh, not stimulated. This is very important to mm-hmm. me that erotica gets gets you aroused the whole time. Uh, there should never be a point where it feels boring, uh, because if it does, then obviously you're going to click off of it, and then the point of reading it is null and void. Um, but <laughs> I feel like, too, like uh, you get a lot of mileage out of uh, a piece of content like that if it is jam-packed with things that are just very uh, personally arousing to you. Um, oh, yeah. So I really like to include a lot of that stuff. Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the writers that really stood out to me when I was starting to get into inanimate TF, and this is, this is going way back. I'm dating myself, but, um, back on CYOC, there was a writer called Dr. What, um, who did a series of inanimate stories where they centered around a character who would transform other like guys into like various objects. And one of the things, and this is kind of what brought it up. One of the things that stood out to me was the entire story from start to finish was kind of dripping with that kind of erotica uh, sense. Even when it was like, you know, the mundane start, like there were little pieces that you could tell, like, you know, little hints as to where something might go. And there was never a point in which um, it kind of led up, which I always think is really interesting. And I think, you know, in terms of some of the stories that I've read from you, like you definitely are aiming and hitting that kind of target and it's it's a it's a tricky thing to nail to make you know the mundane opening uh horny for lack of a better term like it it can be really tricky to kind of nail that balance and uh i imagine like you know obviously time and practice helps a lot but particularly at the beginning i imagine that was really hard to nail that balance yeah i I remember very early on there was a, a phase for about like maybe three or four years um where uh i just didn't really understand how to make that work i was so focused Mm -hmm. on bringing and elevating um i wanted i wanted to implement like more like big brain concepts into my writing and i didn't really understand how to do that uh and it was over time that i realized that it's like it's it's through an understanding of the language it's through an understanding of uh like sexual cues i kind of briefly touched on it but one of the things i did when i was uh like trying to get more into uh, writing and, and, and to understand how to do that properly, read a book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts by O.G. Ogas and uh, Sai Gadam. Uh, it's a, a pretty interesting book. It's, it's a study of uh, human sexuality uh, through a variety of uh, results from like uh, porn site searches. Uh, and that gives them different kinds of information, gives you an idea of what people like and, and how kinks really operate on a fundamental level. And one of the the key things I learned was that just by introducing something that is stimulating for a male reader, uh, well, I would say a assigned male at birth reader, you are like a off-on switch. So as long as there are certain trigger words in a paragraph, you are probably going to get erect by reading it. 
so using that information, I can kind of build a tapestry of language that will progressively become, for lack of better terms, uh, progressively more horny as the story goes on. And then obviously you have that that bread and butter transformation scene. That's the holy grail. That's where it's got to be like every sentence has to be a ribbon of gold because uh, it's the most important part. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, once that's over with, you still have lots of stimulating stuff. You have like the post-transformation stuff, uh, if if obviously that's been included. And uh, I, it's interesting because uh, I try to actually include like a mixture of different uh, cues. There's uh, relationship cues that are are more typical for people that are uh, AFAB, um, mm-hmm. and um, those cues I also like to include because they I find them stimulating as well. I find it really interesting when the characters are more focused on, and there's there are these heightened moments of tension, but they are also broken up with uh, characters kind of engaging in relationships and and talking and kind of having uh, like their own personalities because especially with inanimate transformation, I feel like the more emphasis that's placed on how much of a person somebody is before they're turned into something, uh, the mm-hmm. more compelling it is when they are turned into something because you get to see how much of that person is not present now as they're like turned into a thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do want to pick up on um, the point you're making around like, you know, different things hitting different folks. I'm curious, have you found that it's always like, worked in that experience in terms of the responses of say you know a particular commissioner um and you write towards like that kind of for example like the on off sort of like switch and then like putting in those words versus the character focus is it always a one-to-one or do you see a mixing uh i have almost always mixed them Mm -hmm. i found that it just creates a more compelling story overall but i i do find that uh like since I've started using that approach, which is like before I started taking commissions again, I, I kind of practiced it more heavily with uh, the couple of original stories that were released uh, before I started kind of doing commissions full time again. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I felt like it was very successful. I've gotten nothing but good feedback using it. But it's it's also, like I said, like I don't really try to target it towards the client too much because obviously I don't want to assume anything about them. Of course. And and like I said, like from from my experience, the most success comes from combining those things because, generally speaking, I I really want to bring these very niche topics to a a bit of a wider foray so that uh, more people have the opportunity to recognize that they have an interest in these things, um, mm-hmm. and so I want my stories to be relatively inclusive uh, and so that they will hopefully draw in a wider crowd. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a very solid point. And I've honestly found that when it comes to, you know, inanimate TF and what can draw some people in, it can always vary so much from person to person. But it's true. Aiming for some of those more like universal themes to broaden the uh, drawing of potential audience is always a, a good call, particularly like especially if it's like something where, you know, maybe it's not for commissioner, but it's for yourself, but you want people to read it. Like sometimes exactly. it can be really good to, to broaden in that way. Yeah. So then, you know, one, there's this one big kind of existential question, I think, that looms over inanimate TF in particular, which is what happens mentally. And, you know, we talked a little bit in some of the past episodes, um, you know, we talked about upside down TF, we talked about identity death, um, building off kind of those discussions. I'm curious to know what you think about the contrast between identity death and retained sentience or consciousness when it comes to inanimate TF content. Because sometimes it can be categorized almost as like bad end versus good end. And obviously, I think people 
have different thoughts on that kind yeah, of terminology. Yeah. There's a little bit of loaded uh, morality in, in bad versus Absolutely. good, but I'm curious. I'm curious to know more what you think about those kinds of differences. I, I think it's. I think it's a lot of. Uh, it's it's a weird, funky result of uh, people making uh, moral judgments on the content that other people enjoy. I think for those people that really enjoy identity death, they don't see anything morally wrong with it because it's it's themselves that they want to experience that with. Um, yeah, and and that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people. But uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm a very sanguine person I, in the sense that I have never been one to have any suicidal tendencies or thoughts. Um, and I know that can't be true for everyone, but in my experience, uh, like coming to grips with identity death has kind of made me more comfortable with the concept of death in general, and has made me like honestly, if anything, enjoy my own life uh, considerably more. Um, but there is certainly a contrast between the two concepts in uh, our community in general, and um, it stems from that moral judgment. I would also say it comes from this like. This, this new age sort of disbelief of fictionalized characters being fictional and this, this lack of understanding that a, a character in a written context is not a real person. They're not going to undergo the same kind of pain uh, and, and maybe what is happening to them is fairly grim, but you have to realize that this content is commissioned by people who specifically want to see it. So mm-hmm. it's not there because nobody wants it, uh, unfortunately. So it's, it's very interesting because it's like a, the good end versus bad end debate. It's like I talked about it a little bit earlier, but the the whole idea of identity death and retained sentience being like a good end versus bad end thing is completely silly to me because even in a situation where you have like a retained consciousness, it's it's really not a very good end in my mind. It's like if you were stuck as mm-hmm. a as a a contient uh, like a, a cognizant uh, pool toy, but you weren't able to interact with anything, you were just trapped in this hollow inflatable body for like even just I would say a year. I really don't think you would be the same person if you got turned back after that year. I think you would be mm-hmm. pretty pretty messed up mentally because uh, you would be prone to being left inactive for several hours of a day. I would imagine it's the same thing that happens uh, when someone's in a coma for a very long time. Your your body and your mind kind of becomes more lethargic or maybe, um, uh, what's the word for it? Um, and like goes through a, a form of entropy or something. Um, yeah. And... Um, I think that uh, identity death is is not so harsh when you imagine it as a sort of uh, metaphor for uh, for an orgasm. Because uh, mm-hmm. even when I was writing inflation, that's very much what I saw popping as uh, popping is another contentious topic, even in that community, where people oh, don't course. like that that idea mm-hmm. of of death. But it's like uh, no, the finality. It's it's not a literal death. It's it's more of a um, this idea of like one final orgasm in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a lot of ways, uh, some people view inanimate transformation, the, the moments before you lose all of that uh, quote unquote uh, consciousness as a sort of like uh, orgasm in the same way. I suppose mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, there are many other allegories in uh, other uh, forms of literature. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's, it's, it's good or bad. I think it's like, as long as it's not people writing material where it's used or weaponized against people specifically like mm-hmm. I, I have never seen anything like that myself in my experience everyone that's been interested in this kind of material has specifically fantasized about themselves undergoing these sorts of things um yeah so to me it's completely harmless i think it's 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 literally just uh people's um preferences yeah well there's a so there's a few things i want to i want to pick on there because yeah, i think ahead. you've given a lot for the audience to chew on um i think the first one i want to kind of zoom in on is 
um, that idea of a good end not necessarily being a good end. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I find really interesting in what you said is, you know, if you think about someone who is just like completely keeps all of their um, sentience and thoughts and ideas and they are trapped in a body and you know, they're like that for a year and then they kind of revert back. And what does that do to their kind of mental state? Yeah. I find that, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things that can be mined from that discussion, but I don't think that the quote unquote good end is often framed in that way. Because you're right, no, there not, can yeah. be an inherent horror to being in that state. And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously there is, I think, a line between identity death and retaining your sentience that is often explored with inanimate for example, like, you know, oh, I have, like, these urges uh, as an object now. Like, yes. you know, I, I, I like doing this or blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of the people who, quote, unquote, think about good ends like to occupy that kind of middle ground. Because if it is just full, like, you are just a thing. Nothing has changed, like, sensorily now. You are just a, an object and you're stuck there. Fully, it's kind of like, boring. Comprehending everything. Yeah, well, it's, it's boring. But also, like, yeah, that is definitely, like, leaning into horror. And you could argue yeah. that's more of a... A bad end. Um, the the thing though that also I find interesting is that focus on people wanting it to happen to themselves because I think this comes up a lot in these discussions of like oh like you know why would someone want this and it's like most of the people who because are they do it, yeah because they do obviously <laughs> but like yeah. most of the people who are consuming this want it yeah. to happen to themselves and then the question becomes there's obviously people out there who are consuming it who don't want it to happen to themselves, but do find the draw. And I always feel like that's sometimes where people get a little more dicey in terms of like, oh, what is it that you like about this? Because like you were saying, mm-hmm. there you can you can you can use identity death and, you know, popping for for another example as an uh, analogy for orgasm. But what does it say about the person if they're enjoying that, but they don't actually want it to happen to themselves? I always feel like that's a tricky yeah. one. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I think it probably plays into the to the BDSM aspect because I have to imagine for for all of the extremes that there are uh, with so many other kinks, there has to be extremes in our own fantasies and our own uh, community. Um, so I'm I'm sure that there are uh, dominant uh, inflates out there that that really <laughs> find uh, the concept of popping others to be pleasant. Uh, but I I would imagine for them as well, it is a uh, it's morally like it's a fantasy it's not something mm-hmm. they would go out and physically do to another person it's just that the idea of having that kind of power and control over somebody in the same way that having that power and control robbed from you uh is is just very like arousing for them yeah of course and you know i think one thing that we we like to do here is just kind of explore what it means for us as as people and exploring the humanity of some of these concepts but you're right like obviously none of these things can actually happen unfortunately if you <laughs> unfortunately a, or uh, fortunately <laughs> or fortunately i mean look if, if someone has a full toy tf potion around hit me up yeah yeah but, exactly um, you know I, I i do think that uh, particularly when it comes to these kinds of topics I, I think we dive into what it can potentially mean when we have these interests particularly because i, I don't think everything is fully in a vacuum i agree that you know a lot of this is fiction and you know i have a lot of thoughts about the uh surge in in morality panic around you know interests and and what is written in in fiction or depicted in fiction but you know there always is i think a nugget of something to explore there and i always find it interesting when you know we have these conversations and we talk about 
people coming from it in different angles. I always feel like some of these interests ends up stemming down to like, there is a particular draw for the one particular person. And there's just something, there's a story to be told there. Absolutely. Um, you know, to draw this back to writing. There's always a story to be told. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that uh, the the real thing that makes TF and specifically inanimate TF so interesting is that it's it's different for each individual in the same way that almost every other kink is too. Where, where somebody's fantasies about why they enjoy something can be completely different from yours. And uh, even for me, it took a long time to kind of realize that uh, on a wider uh, perspective, I was into humiliation and degradation and, uh, and objectification. Even though uh, mm. I started off not really being into those things specifically, I just started enjoying inflation and, and, and animate transformation as concepts. And, and gradually uh, slid into preferring concepts that kind of aligned with those themes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even like, you know, a theme I think that I've forgotten to mention before, but I also, excuse me, uh, think touches on inanimate TF is like ex, uh, uh, not exploitation, um, exhibition. Yes. Um, you know, yes, like 100%. there is an exhibitionism of like being Even like, I'm this object and everyone sees you. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Chastity is a big one there too. Yeah. There's a lot of different aspects that come into it because it's, it's, it's everything that goes along with having no control over your body. So there's a lot of, a lot of meat there that kind of overlaps with so many other kinks. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I always wonder, and I feel like this is a, an interesting question to ask anyone because, you know, everyone has different thoughts. Are there any TFs that you feel are like particularly out there or strange and that you don't enjoy exploring? Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, it's it's really not something that I, I think are, are out there or strange because to me it's like nothing strange now because... Uh, I've written so many <laughs> weird, weird things. I I have to tell all my friends that I, I like do horror writing by commission because to tell them the truth would be to scald my brain and their brain. Uh, <laughs> so it's just easier to be like, oh, I write things, wink, wink. Uh, yeah, like when, once you've written a dish soap TF, it's kind of like, you yeah. know, how do I explain that to anyone, you know? And, and, well, not, I mean, not even just that. It's like you look at my account, you see I've been doing it for 10 years. You're like, holy shit. You know, like, uh, well, yeah. but, uh, but I, I do have things that I don't enjoy in, in the TF community in general. Uh, I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm not very fond of affirming transformations in the sense of like, I don't like, Ooh. I don't like, well, I shouldn't say affirming. I should say, um, empowering. That is the term I should use. I'm really not a fond of like people who want to be turned into a dragon or into a, like a magical God or their persona. To me, that's not very interesting. I don't like the mm -hmm. idea of having like any kind of extra power or any kind of like extra dominance or anything like that. I'm also not very much into like as much as I do enjoy certain aspects of drone transformation. I don't enjoy the concept overall that much. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just don't find it that compelling. I also I think that all stems from the fact that like I've I've said earlier, um, inanimate transformation to me is a lot about the vulnerability and the uh, immobility. To be turned into something that has uh, full mobility or even extra mobility uh, is kind of like silly and the opposite of what I'd like. Yeah. And uh, for inanimate transformations in general, I, I generally shy away from technologically advanced TFs. Mm -hmm. um, I do. I did write like a, a computer uh, transformation. I think it was actually a hard drive transformation and some mm -hmm. other stuff like that. But um, I tend to keep it smaller scale because to me it's like unless. I just don't find like vehicular or uh, like like complicated 
appliance transformations that interesting because to me it's like mm-hmm. there are too many like weird little like electronic parts to think about but like right. at the same time uh there is something appealing about being reduced to something like a toaster where it's like oh, oh your yeah. whole thing is that someone pushes a button down and then you make toast <laughs> you know that's kind of fun yeah but, um I, i'm kind of i'm starting to wean away from that uh from that like distaste mm-hmm. towards uh more advanced tfs but uh, like mechanical TFs, but I, yeah. I still generally prefer more simple objects and things like that. I just find it yeah. a lot more um, easier to understand and also a lot more immediately evocative. I like things that can be like broken very easily for some reason. Always have. Ooh. So I, I mm. tend to prefer things like that because I just like the fragility of it. I like the idea of like uh, somebody like teasing me about the fragility of what I am or something like that. So yeah. It's really interesting, though, that and I'm going to come back to it because I I feel like it's an uncommon take to some degree. But like the distaste for the empowering TFs you find not interesting that I find really interesting because, again, like, you know, there are inanimate TFs that could theoretically be empowering. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think the aversion to empowering is simply because, like you said, you're more focused on like kind of the humiliation or objectification or do you think there's something else there that could be said i definitely think it has to do with that absolutely uh i i at one point had written uh some some early early transformation stories way back when i was like kind of still a novice and into like inflation only uh mm-hmm. that i wrote where like i i wrote like this this were panther transformation and i was like i don't know why but i don't find this one as compelling as the other stories i've written and mm-hmm. uh, I think it was really just because for me, it's like, I, I really don't want to have any kind of extra abilities. I just, to me, the whole fantasy is uh, being degraded and having your, your, your personhood kind of reduced, not kind of strengthened in that way. And uh, I, I don't really think it's as fun to explore those concepts because it's like, there's already so many traditional fantasy archetypal things out there that let you mm-hmm. do that. Like you can play a druid in World of Warcraft you know you know like there's there's entirely like there's a whole subgenre of film around it to me it's like it's a lot more interesting to write about the stuff that is uh not thought about as much yeah yeah i mean it's definitely less explored i think the angle that you're coming from and so i can see why there would be a draw towards something that's a little bit more novel versus the things that are uh, more commonly depicted in media, but that that is interesting to me as, as someone who likes empowering TFs. I find that interesting that that's not really something you're into. So. Yeah, yeah, interesting, <laughs> amazing. Uh, well, that was all kind of the questions that I had. I don't know if you had any questions for me. Uh, what well, what would you say that your uh, your favorite inanimate transformation situation is? Like your your favorite scenario is? Ooh, okay. So I will not say pool toy TF because I'll give a slightly different answer. Oh, that's okay. My, if, that, like, if that's it, like I, I like balloons a lot. So oh, I no, can't no, no, really no. say I, too I, much. I do, but I, I, I very much like pool toy TF. But like, I, I want to give a different answer because I do actually think this is probably my core like inanimate TF fantasy. Ooh, um, okay. So the idea of getting turned into a mannequin has always been really interesting to oh, me. Oh yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, like there is the the, the bulge, which I find actually really gender affirming. Mm-hmm. There's the loss of uh, like identifiable self, like you are yep. just like a facsimile of like a person. In particular, one of the kind of scenarios that I have always really liked is, um, you know, you're someone who has either snuck in or was like left behind after a store has closed. 
and you find something in the back rooms that ends up causing this change. And, you know, sometimes it can depend, maybe like, you know, someone left it there because they knew something would happen, like someone would try to do that. Maybe there's like a an inherent draw, there's some like magical situation that draws the person to that. Um, in particular, the ones that I enjoy are like, um, oh, you're fooling around with a mannequin stand and now it's gotten stuck in there and that's what's changing you. That that hits a lot of boxes for me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like afterwards, the aftermath is like, oh, you've been found in like the back rooms and now you're going to get displayed because, hey, they, they got another mannequin yes. and they got clothes to show off. There's like that exhibitionism of, at the end that really uh, I really enjoy. And in particular, I really like the kind of middle ground between identity death and full consciousness retaining. I, I like to call it insup, you know, mm-hmm. basically where like you have all these like mannequin urges like oh i want to be shown off and oh it feels really good when someone like touches me or brushes up against that bulge and maybe yeah it's like, almost like a form of hypnosis i love it yeah yeah exactly yeah. and there's like that like base level like elevated horniness in the background now because it's like just it's really hot to be in that form and there's yeah. like things that can elevate it but like fundamentally like you are trapped in a form you feel kind of like this overall sense of pleasure you got something up your ass which is hot and like just the whole thing, it, it, it hits a lot of boxes for me. And that was kind of like my first foray into an animate TF anyways, that kind of like a scenario. That so makes a lot of it's sense. always really stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. I love mannequin TF as well. Uh, I'm curious to know, like, so if you break down that fantasy into like little elements, uh, mm-hmm. let's see, you have the, um, you have like the identity erasure in the form of like the, the mannequin, like pale white, uh, like, as you said, yes. like facsimile kind of appearance. Uh, do you like, like null transformation as well? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like, the the nulge or the bulge, I think, has always been a really big draw to me. I, mm-hmm. I interpret it as horny. I know it can also be interpreted as a chastity thing, but I actually go in the other direction and finding it, like, even hornier. But also, like, having, like, no identity on, like, your face and stuff, I find really hot as well. So that nullification as well is really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it as well. I like it, uh, honestly, taken to all of its extremes. Like, uh, there was this really good series by... Uh, I've forgotten the, the artist's name. I think it was Pozexi, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did a, a series where it was like a, a, a group of Pokemon that were becoming progressively more nullified, and you could see them becoming just colored blobs by the end of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved that series, because I just... <gasps> so good. It's so good. Uh, and then you also have the element of that, like you said, like that exhibitionism of being kind of like mm-hmm. discovered and then put on display, and then having that like lack of knowledge of like, is someone going to find you and know? Are people just gonna, like you're? You're going to be put in these situations where people are just going to walk around you and see you every day and not oh, yeah. know that that's you, and uh, oh, that's yeah. a that's a really fun thought. Um, and then yeah, I'll, I love that. And then obviously there's there's that um, that kind of like oh I put this upon myself kind of feeling that comes yes. from like oh I I put myself in that position because I was fooling around with something I probably shouldn't have. Like, mm-hmm. who would put their, their butt on a, on a dildo that looks like it's obviously some kind of stand for something? Exactly. Well, oh, 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 I did that. <laughs> I, that's what I like to think is that a lot of inanimate transformation fans are the kind of people that go out into the world searching for the triggers that would cause them yes. to turn into something, you know? They're the ones that sneak into the <laughs> pool after 12 and pee in it just to see if they will bob to the surface. Uh, you know? Yes. Uh, so I find that really fun and really funny. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, I think that there's so many ways that you could break down that, that scenario and kind of explore each of those, those little things separately. Like, I love the idea of like acetone. So the, uh, like one thing I really like is I I like to try to combine transformations now. I I used to just combine kinks. 
I love doing yeah. that too. Um, because I have a myriad of other fetishes myself, so. Of course. Naturally. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, like, the idea of, like, becoming a pool toy and then having someone knock over, like, some Acme bottle of acetone that just immediately blankets your form in this, this like, translucent, like, white, creamy stuff that just washes oh, yeah. away all of your features and just leaves you this perfectly blank vinyl shell. It's just this really fun concept I really enjoy. Not not as, not as often as explored as I wished. Um, I actually, uh, I was going to do like a whole, um, series of post transformation artwork. Um, but I, I am too broke to afford to do it all the time, but, uh, I want to continue it and have like more scenes with my, my character, um, medley as a pool toy becoming like more defaced over time and like getting smirched Mm -hmm. and marked and like having a couple of holes that are patched up and stuff. Cause, uh, permanency to me is fun as like a, as like a popcorn concept where you just like, you hint at the fact that something's irreversible. Um, but I find it also very interesting if you actually follow through on that concept more fully and kind of portray an object uh, that is a former person uh, through time and, and showing what they look like over uh, a couple of different ages. Uh, kind of yeah. it gives you more of a mental picture of what they've kind of been through. It's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. I love that kind of depiction of the time passing and, you know, things changing. So I I fully endorse that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious uh, about the uh, the kind of, like, you, you, we were talking about, like, the hypnosis style, like, uh, mm-hmm. I'm an object, so now I have object thoughts. I really enjoy that, too. Personally, I feel like I've kind of, I've worked myself into liking this really, a little bit more, I wouldn't say dark, necessarily, but a bit more of a, like, a, a weird kind of merging of these two concepts, where it's like, if transformation is, like, short-term or eventually, like, reversed... There is like mm-hmm. a retained sentience and consciousness that's not really hurt too much. Uh, obviously, yeah. it, it's based on the context of the story in all, in all honesty. But I also really like this idea that like the more that you as a person willingly want to be the thing, the harder it is to stop from just turning into that thing fully. Like, oh, it, yeah, yeah. You, you go from this early stage of like, oh, this is weird, I'm an object, and I can kind of feel my old body, but I'm not in my body, mm. I'm I'm in, uh, like, I'm in the shape of a pool toy, so this is weird. I can still feel my arms and stuff, but I don't have control over them. Uh, and yeah. then, like, maybe after a week, you know, like, that starts to go away, and you start to have more of these thoughts of, like, it feels nice to be floating around in water, and, like, I like the yeah. smell of chlorinated water, and I like to be <laughs> filled with air, and those thoughts become more of the background and the more steady, like, thing that kind of takes over, and then you don't notice oh, it, yeah. but that that kind of, like, gradual fade away of your, your personality and who you were before, and maybe those memories kind of slowly goes away, but it's kind of replaced by this this general happy bliss where you're not really aware okay. of that. And then eventually you get to that point where, like, like I said, like you you are just so content with being what you are that that like that layer between what you were before and what you are now goes away, and you are just a thing now. I really find that concept that. very fun uh, because then yeah. it means that like once that character has kind of gone through that, you can kind of have the play around with relationships a bit too because maybe they've been in the possession of someone who's supposed to turn them back eventually, and they don't know how long they have until they are supposed to turn them back. Uh, And, like, they don't have a way to tell, because they can't talk back to them, and they just find out. And, you know, maybe they go to turn them back, and it's like, nope, they're just an object now. And they get to live with that, and they're like, oh, this is weirdly hot. And, like, maybe just knowing that that happened to them opens something for them, and now they really want to experience the same thing for some reason. Like, I really Mm -hmm. enjoy that kind of, that kind of, like, context that kind of widens 
where, you know, like maybe a friend of theirs finds out that they've been turned into an object and just really wants to own them for some reason. Uh, even though they maybe had very little romantic interest in them before, now that they're yeah. an object, they really feel some kind of weird compulsion to collect them and own them. Uh, and I, I find that, that I, I, there's so many ways to explore those kind of relationships and fantasies that mm. I feel like aren't really yeah. given the opportunity to do so. And I, I really mm. hope that we get to see more of that. And that's why I like writing a lot too, because in art, I feel like you really have to break down a story to its most essential components to make it work. And with writing, you can just explore and explore and explore. You can go anywhere you oh, want yeah. to uh, in, in the breadth of the story, as long as you just will it to happen. So. There's a lot more versatility. Yeah, I, I love all of that, all of the stuff you mentioned. I, I love that gradual fade out and like, you know, happy bliss and, oh, hits it all, all the buttons. so great. Hit, yeah. hit, hit the horny button. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's the power of being an erotica writer. <laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. You turn words into boners. It's true. That's, that's just how it works. That's how it be. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So. That's true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me on. It was uh, it was really great. Yeah. If people are looking for your stuff, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at the uh, Fur Affinity page, user slash medkit. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I am predominantly on Fur Affinity. That's where most of my content is. Uh, I'm also yeah. on uh, Subscribe Star uh, with the same username. Uh, mm -hmm. so you can find me there as well uh, for $5 a month you can get like early access to uh, commissions I've written more recently as well as some original content that's exclusively found there um, but for the most part I try to keep my stuff away from paywalls so I do release mm -hmm. all of the commissions I've written after about two to three weeks after I've written them nice oh that's perfect yeah and um, yeah I, I hope people uh, go over and consider it because you do some great stuff thank you very much <laughs> fantastic well thank you so much to everyone for listening to this week's episode um as always you can find us over on our patreon uh tf tuesday pod um you can always join us over there we have a nice little discord with a, a nice cozy community and uh you know you can get your names in the credits and such and help choose some of the topics that we talk about uh, at least once a month um but again thank you so much for listening to this episode and i hope you all have a great week um, you know, stay hydrated, get some good rest, keep an open mind and stay TFE and we'll see you all again here next week. <laughs> <laughs>